Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hot Bike with Heather Withrow is underway on this Thursday edition. Glad you're with us across the Outkick network, which includes our YouTube channel. Go to there and search out Outkick. Join Chad in the chat. Subscribe and get all of the shows live or on demand. If you're listening to this great radio partner, we say thank you. Big show today, Armando Salguero of Outkick.com, senior NFL reporter. He will join us in 20 minutes, the very latest on NFL Week 14, a season that has flown by. Chad pointed this out earlier in the week. It's hard to believe that we're now into bowl season and we're almost to the NFL postseason. Steve Tasker will join us later this hour as well. I don't know. What's happening? I don't know. Our our life is just slipping through our fingers every single day. Steve Tasker will... uh, Tell us start so morbid. what's happening with Buffalo and the Bills. Steve Tasker is really, really good. We've had him on the show before. Always been a terrific analyst. Great player, too. Bronson Arroyo in studio with us today in hour number two. Former Major League Baseball pitcher and now musician. I wonder if he's going to bring his guitar with him. You know, Tua was on the Manning cast and played Tears in Heaven for Maybe them. Maybe he could play something while, along he, to while we chat with him. He can just answer every question in song form. With a lyric? Yeah. So With a verse? He's in a band, and uh, he's playing an event tonight in Nashville around the MLB awesome. winter meetings. And his band, Hutton, this is right. It, I mean, in, if you said, this is the band for Hutton and Withrow, and right in our wheelhouse, and probably in the wheelhouse of a lot of our viewers or, or listeners, Bronson Arroyo's band plays covers of Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Alice in Chains, Incubus, Stone Temple Pilots Foo sure Fighters. Have, and Foo Fighters. He's a cover band for those those bands. Th- this sounds like just Could you have guessed those watching that we enjoy those heaven. bands? Musical Probably heaven. Not. This yeah. is musical heaven for us. He's going to come in and cover Chronic 2001. It's uh, yes, Doggy Style by Snoop Dogg. Yeah. He does alternative rock versions of all those songs. Uh when he sings Lottie Dottie, we like to party. Is it, yeah, That's party. It. I said it right. Yeah. yeah. When he does that with alternative music, you've never heard anything else like it. Maybe he'll play a little ditty for us later. I can't wait. Yep, uh, Chad, uh, I can't wait for Jim Harbaugh to just sign the extension with with Michigan. They are, uh, uh, according to reports, uh, Wetzel's po- pointed this out, they continue to negotiate with him. And right now it's a five-year, $55 million offer, $11 million per year. And it comes with the, the one stipulation that he cannot interview with NFL organizations. The, the leverage is now with Harbaugh as he enters the, the college football playoff with the number one team in the country. And if I'm Harbaugh, I just wait. You've already got reported five years, 55 million. And if you win the national title, you're the highest paid coach, period. Based on what Michigan's already put out there. And the fact that it doesn't seem like there's a provision that stipulates anything regarding what could happen down the road based on what has gone on this season with six games that he didn't even coach on game day. I don't think he's going to sign this. 
And the reason being where Michigan may be okay with employing Jim Harbaugh through their difficult years or year if something does happen with the NCAA, and more is going to happen. The NCAA hasn't done anything yet. They're going to do something. I don't know that Jim Harbaugh, if he's got options in the NFL, wants to deal with that for whatever happens. And to me, Hutton, this all started. The ball was rolling downhill when we had Burger Gate, right, where the whole – there was a – Big kerfluffle over whether or not he knew about a lunch he paid for for a recruit that was during COVID-19 that led to uh, a lot of issues with practice time and recruiting during COVID-19 shutdown. So I, I just I think that he was already at his wits end with the NCAA and having to answer questions to them when that went down. Now the prospect of something else happening to his program has to weigh on him. I also think if you have a, a, the least bit of loyalty, because this stuff is self-imposed by Michigan, whether you think Jim Harbaugh knew all about it or not, we believe that he did, mm-hmm. but it's all self-imposed, all the problems they're going through right now. The amount of loyalty by Michigan and their fans through thick and thin with Jim Harbaugh on this, in large part because they're undefeated, they're the number one seed in the college football playoff, granted, but it's been impressive. And if you're Jim Harbaugh, that's got to resonate with you a little bit and say, man, this place really is behind me no matter what. I should honor that loyalty as well. I I don't know what he's going to do here, but I do think there's probably a part of Jim Harbaugh asking himself the question, do I really want to sit through this if things get bad with the NCAA? Two things to ponder, though. Number one, $11 per year in college puts him in the tier with Andy Reid, around Mike Tomlin's pay, John Harbaugh, his brother, Josh McDaniels was making $10 a year. Uh, same would go for Gruden, I believe, or whatever. He was the head coach of the Raiders. Um, only The only coaches above that threshold are Sean McVay, Pete Carroll, and I believe yeah, Sean Payton got $18 million to go to Denver. And then there's Belichick, which uh, it's believed that he's getting around twenty, uh, based on reports. I say that because all you have to do is just hold your cards and not sign anything until after the college football playoff and negotiate it a little bit higher. And here's the other thing on the flip side of it. Michigan is tired of the last two-plus years of the flirtation with the NFL. Keep in mind, you're looking at Sean Payton in Denver making $18 million a year. The ownership group of the Denver Broncos flew to Ann Arbor to try to get him to change his mind earlier this year and go to the Denver Broncos to be their head coach. They end up with Sean Payton. I say that because is this going to be an ongoing year-by-year thing that we saw with Mike Gundy for several off-seasons with Oklahoma State, where he would use different programs across the country to get a bump in pay. It's raise season. And Michigan is saying, hey, um, we're not looking for raise season every single off-season with the NFL when it comes to the terms that we want to sign you to. Counter to the whole money thing, and maybe money, and maybe this is solely about money. So if he gets what he's going to get in the NFL at Michigan, he's not going to care. It's a lot harder to be a college head coach right now. No doubt. There's a lot more involved, a lot more you got to worry about. Now, flip side of that is you can really be the sole proprietor of your own program. You don't have a lot of checks and balances of people to answer to, but you do have to answer the NCAA. You got to answer to that. That is right. what Jim Harbaugh, I think, is fatigued by right now. He can get carte blanche at Michigan. And run the program as he see fit, sees fit. And if he wants to send Connor Stallions to, to a game, he can do that. He can do whatever he wants. But once the NCAA start, starts cracking down on that, he's going to grow tired of that very quickly. NFL, you do have to answer 
at times to a GM, certainly to an owner, but you're making roughly the same amount of money, maybe more, maybe a little bit less, to do far less work and have far fewer headaches and and really just concern yourself with the football part of it. How appealing is that to to Jim Harbaugh? Don't know, but I, I think it's a way sweeter gig to be an NFL head coach right now, given NIL, given transfer portal, given everything you got to worry about year round in college football that's not football related. He is, that's not football only related. 11 million would put him just beneath right now Nick Saban, the highest paid coach in college football. But he's making less currently than Lane Kiffin, Mark Stoops, and Josh Heupel uh, based on his pay, which is reportedly what, eight and a half million at Michigan currently. He They're making a, over nine. He took a pay cut. And then he got a raise, right? right. I'm, I'm trying to think to follow the process, right? They, when his job was in jeopardy, he, he's he pulled and then he's won the big. yeah. I, I'm going to take a pay cut and, and make the buyout, and he gambled on himself and won and won big, and then he got that money back and then some. How about this gamble though? Yes, the NCAA could be loom could could bloom over what this decision could be, or it couldn't. A five year term. There's a lot that's going to happen within the next five years in college football. Where's Michigan in terms of how they're going to be held to a certain standard? And is it going to be under the, the rules and regulations of the NCAA? I don't believe that to be the case. But I don't know how soon or how far away that is. But if, it, if, if, we're, if, we're, if we're going by the pace we're on right now, everything's happening fast. If, it, if the issue was only a money thing, you know, the uh, illegal inducements to recruits or players or whatever, Given the state that we're in right now with NIL, none of that really mattering anyways for the amount of money yeah. some major colleges are, are dishing out to recruits and to players, I, I don't think that's an issue. The problem I see moving forward is whoever the governing body is hates what Michigan did. And schools around him are going to hate what they did because there is an understanding that when you're playing at the highest level, money is changing hands. And I think other coaches and programs can forgive that because they know what they're doing. There's not a lot of people rushing, currently in the game, rushing to the defense of Jim Harbaugh, acting like what was going on with Connor Stallions was at all normal, right? That it was way above and beyond. It may have affected competitive balance. So I say all that to say, you, you're, Hutton, you're probably right. The NCAA may not be a factor in three to four years, so who cares? But whoever is running it, whether there's a czar of college football, whether this new subdivision that Charlie Baker is talking about forms and there's someone over that, they're still going to have a problem with Connor Stallions sure. and this illegal sign-stealing deal. So and the Big Ten Michigan did. is going to pay at some point. And it's not just the suspension that Jim Harbaugh faced from the Big Ten. They're going to pay in some way. What is the risk tolerance for Jim Harbaugh right now and what he's willing to take? And if he's willing for that to be a storyline and something that's just out there on the horizon for his program for one, two, three years to come. Don't know. But these are the pros and cons of signing that and having that stability at Michigan versus I don't want to deal with everything going on with the NCAA right now. I'm just going to go to the NFL and make a ton of money doing that. Well, and I think Harbaugh is using that to his advantage. He's going to end up with more than this reported uh, contract offer. This has been going on for months now, not just the last week where they've been trying to get him under contract. They put it on hold. Now they're back in. And when he potentially wins a national title, he, he will demand to be the highest paid coach in 2024 period above any threshold during race season that we're going to see where coaches get bonused and, and extended a year based on certain win totals or just the fact that they're trying to keep a coach staying put. And that's unfortunate when the landscape is pointing to NIL 
and saying that's the issue financially with all of these athletic programs. Chad, uh, speaking of NIL, it was, it was thought that one of the top recruits was going to take the bag in name, image, likeness. Surprising today to see Brad Seaton from IMG Academy. Jordan Seaton. Or Jordan Seaton, sorry. Yeah. Head to, uh, Brad Seaton was an offensive lineman in the NFL. Yeah, I, I knew who you were thinking um, of when you said that. Jordan Seaton headed to Colorado in a surprise announcement for recruiting and for Deion Sanders. Yeah, he chooses Colorado over Ohio State, Tennessee, Florida. Uh, I'm probably leaving someone else out. Pretty much everyone, everyone in the country was him. after him, but yeah. th- those were the finalists. Uh, the schools, a lot of uh, recruiting analysts felt like it was going to be Tennessee leading up to signing day. I knew when he announced that he was moving his signing day ceremony to Los Angeles that something may be up with that. And the something that was up was Colorado's now the Hollywood of college football. And Deion Sanders has compared Boulder to L.A. Uh, so that makes a lot of sense from a marketing standpoint that he's going to Colorado. Look, I, I, I don't know what he's making in NIL to go to Colorado. I'm willing to bet everything that I have that Ohio state and Tennessee could pay that or more if they wanted to based on the level they're playing at with NIL. So this was a business marketing decision for a guy who's a five-star offensive tackle, number one offensive lineman in America. That's going to start day one. Now he's going to walk into a Colorado situation that's desperately needing offensive linemen and help on the lines of scrimmage. So he's going to be a big time factor for them. What does this say for Deion Sanders? Well, it's a huge jump in the recruiting rankings. I believe they just went from the low 40s to 27th nationally with that one signing. They may have even been below 40s. They're currently 27 on three cumulative rankings of all the different services. Colorado's 27th nationally. That's two spots behind Arkansas, one spot behind North Carolina, one spot ahead of Missouri, two spots ahead of NC State, three spots ahead of Washington. Just to give you an idea of some of the programs they're now recruiting with and against with these these rankings. Their first five-star prospect in this cycle. They only have 11 guys committed right now. So there's a lot more that they could bring in in the late signing period. One five-star, three four-star players. That's good. Today's really good news for Dion. He's going to need to have more of that. Because we saw the full extent of the rebuild he signed up for the back half of this season. The start of it was great. It was fun offensively. But the reality of where they are from a roster standpoint really shined through the back half. And it's not getting any easier as they move to the Big 12. So this is the first step in a building block system of what they need to do. And Hutton, I do think there is a certain spark you get when there is a high-profile announcement by a high-profile guy that everyone in recruiting circles follows, and they pick your school, and it's a surprise. That's a big part of this. He shocked everyone by picking Colorado. That gives them a spark. Maybe that's exactly what they need to light the fire that they're going to need to go on, on the tear they're going to go on leading up to not just this early signing day, but the late one early next year, and then throughout the transfer portal. To me, what this is, your team is down 10 points, and you're the home you're the home underdog or something. And you've got, in this case, Tennessee and Ohio State would be the favorite. You get a touchdown to cut it to three. And all the momentum's starting to switch. And then the opponent, Dion in this case, has a big return past, past midfield to get into scoring range automatically. And then everything just kind of dies down again. He's done nothing but surprise 
since he took over at Colorado. No one expected him to do what he did to begin the season. He's got all the attention. The eyeballs are on that program. The fact that Los Angeles and the Hollywood right now, the star power, is in Boulder, Colorado, says that. And he's done exactly what the critics were saying he wasn't doing, which is land the top young, talented recruit, not through the portal, but someone to develop and be an anchor piece. And, and I'm not saying he's fixed everything, but if you're looking at the scoreboard, it's early on. But Dion's done what he needs to do, and he's addressed a position that he desperately needed. And it starts with trying to get the guy that will bring other guys with him. He's doing that, and he did it in the shadows with this, right? Like if you, the three of us with, with Clay the other night, were talking about Seton. We weren't talking about Colorado. And I think that will be kind of a storyline of the offseason where coaches are going to get pissed off at what Dion's doing, and they're going to start battling him more than what they have been in the recruiting circles. They need this, though, to start that fire. Yeah. Because this, this should just be the start, not the finish for Dion. They have to have that. They need to finish the top 10 class. They're 27th right now. Coming up, Armando Salguero joins us. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Eha Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us. Hot Mike with Henry Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Armando Salguero joins us each and every Thursday. We discuss the biggest stories that he's been covering at Outkick through the NFL. Armando, great to see you as always. Our favorite segment of the week has arrived. Yeah, um, I've got the sun going on right now, and I don't understand. Very angelic. Very angelic. God, God shining his light on you, Armando, for this, this yes. segment. That's what it is. Yes, Hopefully. or either that or there's fire coming from some other place. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know uh, uh, who's uh, who's responsible for tonight's Thursday night football matchup, but, man, uh, if, if we don't have an example of how bad NFL offenses are, we're going to have it tonight. Yeah, it's going to be craptastic. It's, um, it, it, look... Uh, obviously, they talked about flexing uh, at the meetings earlier this year. This should have been one of those. You flex this Thursday matchup because, oh, my gosh. Um, but you know what? It's always – I think that there is a segment of the population that enjoys watching Bill Belichick suffer because he had so many years of, you know – winning championships, six Super Bowls, and being relevant and being great uh, because his quarterback was great. I think there's a certain segment, at least of people whose teams are in the AFC East, who enjoy watching Bill Belichick go down the tubes. No doubt about it. Um, I, I'm not sure that people feel the same way about the New York Jets because they seem to go down the tubes every year. So I don't know the people that are taking joy in that. Uh, but Zach Wilson is going to be back as the starter now, Armando. Uh, what does that make you think? And what do you think when Aaron Rodgers is going on Pat McAfee's show saying a big problem with the organization are the leaks that are coming out of the organization with that report that he didn't want to come back and be the starter? Well, let's, let's start with the Aaron Rodgers thing. First of all, he's right. Uh, when you have leaks from within the organization um, that – use their their knowledge to assassinate a player's character 
simply because of, you know, what is on that player's mind and what he has shared in confidence, you have a culture issue. You have a problem within the organization. And by the way, the Jets, it, it, it shouldn't come as a, any surprise. The Jets are a team that has major issues uh, with culture. You've got guys not trusting the quarterback. You've got guys not trusting the offensive line. You've got a quarterback that doesn't trust the offensive line. You've got uh, guys on defense that didn't like the offense and how they were performing. You've got guys. The, the idea that this is a unified organization is just not accurate. And so Aaron Rodgers has a point. And there isn't anything that that you can really say to argue against it other than he's got a point. Um, now, as far as Zach Wilson, if we are not seeing a Zach Wilson that we've never seen before in the next four weeks, in the next month, we are seeing the final days of Zach Wilson on the New York Jets. That is clear and obvious. Um, one of the leaks is that apparently the coach, Robert Sala, was texting a radio personality telling him basically he's not a believer in Zach Wilson. Well, <laughs> can, I, like, can I give you my conspiracy theory here? Yeah. He's only playing because Aaron Rodgers is back in town, uh, back in the building. Uh, but we, Robert Sala... He, he was pleading the fifth when asked why he wasn't why he wasn't playing someone else. Trevor Simeon over Zach Wilson a, a few weeks ago. Then they make the switch. All of a sudden, Rodgers is back. They Wilson and Rodgers are tight. And I get the sense that Rodgers wants him to play. If he's not, if, if the locker room doesn't trust Wilson, that's the only reason that he's he's playing right now. I, I can't, I mean, either way, you get the same result. The offense is going to be bad. Rodgers being back plays a factor, and he's the one speaking out. He's the glue. Aaron Rodgers is the culture. And to me, Robert Sala is doing the bidding of Aaron Rodgers. That's entirely possible. Here's something else that's entirely possible. Zach Wilson is bad, and yet he is better, <laughs> better than Tim Boyle, oh, better sure. than Trevor Simeon. <laughs> I mean, and we saw them both <laughs> with Boyle the last two weeks. And he's bad, really bad. And, I mean, how bad is he? He threw a Hail Mary pick six. A Hail Mary pick six. That's where we are in the league now. <laughs> That's where it is <laughs> with Tim Boyle. So he goes from fair. starting to released. Trevor Simeon came in last week and played for Tim Boyle, who was benched, and was worse. Then there's, Less mobile. Where's Joe Flacco so, when you need him? I mean, and and Joe Flacco wanted to wanted to be there. I know. We had Ross yeah. Tucker on earlier this week Rogers talking about like that. It. He's he's there in in South Jersey where he lives, and he's I'll come help you guys out. I'd love to play, and they pass on that for what they have there. Armando is Nathaniel Hackett still employed at this point in the season as offensive coordinator anywhere else other than a team that Aaron Rodgers happens to be on the on the team. Maybe he is still employed during the season, but after the season, he is summarily unemployed. Um, and, you know, the reason he's absolutely employed and might stick with the Jets after the season is because of Aaron Rodgers. And here's the problem with that. 
Aaron Rodgers has said on multiple times, I won an MVP award in that offense with Nathaniel Hackett. What he doesn't mention is that Nathaniel Hackett wasn't calling the plays. Nathaniel Hackett was the quarterback coach when Aaron Rodgers won the MVP with that office, offense. Uh, he wasn't the offensive coordinator in Green Bay when that happened. And so, look, it's – can we all agree the Jets don't have enough talent? Let's, let's just put it right out there. I would say to you that based on what we know about that offensive line – That's, that's uh, based the, on the Yeah, they're not very good on the offensive that's line key. for sure. Absolutely. And they don't – you know, they have one good receiver who, by the way, has regressed this year in Garrett Wilson – um, and they don't have a down-the-scene threat. Even if Aaron Rodgers was on that team, that team would be, at best, middling, fair, okay, not what everybody was paying them to be at the beginning of the year, Super Bowl contender. They wouldn't be that. And another thing, their defense isn't all that great either. So, I mean, it's good. It's, 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 it's really, really solid. But is it champ? Is that a championship defense? Mm, I'm not sure about that. Not this year. Armando Salguero with us. A, a team that does have enough talent is Buffalo, but they sit at 500 with Josh Allen at quarterback. And I just feel like Buffalo's kind of been sent to the, to the side a bit when we're discussing the AFC playoff race with Houston and others right above them currently in the playoff picture. This is, I know their schedule's difficult. So be it. That's, that comes with the territory when you win a division in the NFL, and it comes with the territory of expecting to win again when you're the caliber of Josh Allen. Isn't this time for Josh Allen to, to go to work and actually take the Bills to the postseason? I think it's time for the Buffalo Bills to actually win a close game late. That's what time it is, because we have seen Josh Allen, quote unquote, go to work. Yep. He went to work all over the 2021 playoffs. He threw nine touchdown passes without an interception. He threw for like 800 yards in two games, and they still found a way to lose in the final 13 seconds of a game. That wasn't because Josh Allen didn't go to work. That was because the Bills couldn't win late. We've seen the last few weeks and all throughout the season, really, the Bills have a lead. The Bills are beating teams. And all of a sudden, late in games, something happens and the Bills find a way to what? To lose. And it's regardless of whether Josh Allen is playing well or scoring enough because he normally does. And so the, I see, I think their problem and what has to happen is something has to click with the entire roster, not just Josh Allen to where is, Hey guys, uh, let's finish because that team is terrible at finishing. Yep. They're a very talented team that can't finish. I don't understand it. It's a great point. And they they face a, a Chiefs team this weekend in Kansas City that 
is very beatable right now. They've lost three of their last five games. Broncos, Packers, and Eagles uh, took them down. And Armand, this would be, you're talking about a, a momentum boost for the Bills to win a close game on the road at Arrowhead. That's the type of moment that this team needs. That is absolutely the type of moment that they need. Um, by the way, the Chiefs need it too. Yes. <laughs> because uh, regardless of how often and how uh, unequivocal Patrick Mahomes says that he trusts his wide receivers, that he sees that they work really hard and they're going to be fine, um, our eyes <laughs> yeah. tell us that no, maybe he's just, you know, exaggerating like by a scale of 100%. <laughs> you know, it's it's not real. We've seen it multiple times. Uh, I, I'm tired of seeing Patrick Mahomes throw 50-yard bombs that should be touchdowns and either the wide receiver drops it or trips on the four-yard line and the ball drops on the two-yard line or something happens that the play that used to get made when the Chiefs uh, were champions, meaning last year, aren't getting made anymore. And that's that's bad because I don't know how that gets fixed. Uh, you can't draft a set of receivers right now. You can't sign uh, super playmakers right now. So there's at least one good primetime game this weekend, and that's Eagles-Cowboys. Uh, do we think Big Dom is going to play a factor in this game at all the way he did against the 49ers? What do you think of the matchup, Armando? I'm stunned that Big Dom hasn't been suspended. Yeah, he can still I, be I really, there on the yeah. sideline. I, I'm stunned. Me too. It, it, it's like not suspended, not fined, not – that was okay, NFL? That was okay? Uh, and I know that he and – Drake, uh, you know, Greenlaw have have kind of buddied up to each other through intermediaries. Shanahan's even talking works. high of him now. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> how does that work? It wasn't a fair uh, trade-off, that's for sure, for what the 49ers lost and what the Eagles lost in that game. That, no. That's what I would be concerned with if I'm the NFL. Think about the message that sends. Yeah. You can have someone on the sideline pick on the other teams, maybe, I don't know, star middle linebacker and that middle linebacker gets tossed and your staffer gets tossed who is better off during the game between the lines uh that's a bad that's a bad look for the nfl armando salguero with us final thing for you so i'm looking at the nfc and there's a great debate about top team right now san francisco did what they did on the road uh, Philadelphia, for the second consecutive week, will take on a team with 10 days rest. Uh, there's Detroit. There's Dallas. So uh, of those four, and the, the, the news cycle to me is very cyclical every year. So now it's Philadelphia's down. Detroit is down. Five weeks from now, are we thinking the same thing? Do you, do you trust Philly? Do you trust Detroit to turn things around from the perception of where they are? Well, I don't think that even any of these teams are really like, super teams at this yeah, point yeah what they are is like you said cyclical teams and injuries come in cycles as well you know the 49ers had that three-game losing skid where they didn't have Debo Samuel they didn't have Trent Williams all of a sudden they're on a three-game skid Philadelphia has 
won a lot of games, but it doesn't look the same as it did last year. Because why? Because Jalen Hurts is is battling some injury stuff. The Cowboys have overcome some injury stuff. I don't think the Lions are in that three. Okay, yeah. I, I'm not I, that next you know, tier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and and I know that. Uh, that goes maybe back to my bias from last year. Well, hey, <laughs> and Thanksgivings many ago, but but um, I just think that five weeks from now, what we're going to see is the healthiest of those teams is going to be the best of those teams. And as we, simple as that. And we're not mentioning anyone from the NFC South, no matter who wins that division. Uh, good riddance uh, and good luck if you're facing Dallas and hosting them in the first round of the postseason. Hey. Armando, thank you as always. We'll catch up next week. Enjoy the football weekend. Thank you, man. Thank you, Armando. Tracking the punts tonight for Thursday Night Football. Armando Salguero. Coming up, Steve Tasker joins us. We'll discuss the, the depth of the issues with the Buffalo Bills. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us for Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow. You can head over to Outkick.com and check out the Outkick store. Playing on a new field. That's right. The Outkick store just launched. Celebrate, we're offering a buy one, get one 50% off deal for a limited time. You can find our favorite polos, t-shirts, and more. You visit shop.outkick.com. Score 50% off. All you've got to do, visit shop.outkick.com. And the items in your cart, the discount there, automatically applied. Steve Tasker joins us, the best uh, special teamers in the history of the game and a solid football analyst who has joined us before, Chad, one of the uh, better chats that we have uh, about the league and about Buffalo and the Bills in particular. Steve, great to have you back on the show, man. Hope things are well. Uh, everything's great. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. Uh, how, how much uh, worry is there with this Bills team right now at 500 and coming off a bye and, and looking to this Kansas City matchup where Kansas City is is very beatable. It's tough to beat them at Arrowhead, but we've seen that before. Yeah, there's a lot of worry. I have no question about it. This is a team that seems to be underachieving uh, this season. Uh, they uh, Certainly the injuries on defense have held them back, uh, but – uh, they and they so the the real thought is that this team really could go run the table, get to the playoffs, and make a deep run. No question about it. There's that belief. The one caveat with it is the fact that this week they played the Kansas City Chiefs, which say what you want, it's still Pat Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, and they've got a defense that's playing better than any Chiefs defense this Bills team has faced. So you got the Chiefs this week, Dallas the next week, the Los Angeles Chargers after that. Then you've got the the Patriots and the Dolphins after that, and you got to run that table. It's a pretty big table. Yeah. Uh, and that's the worry. I, and I'm thinking, like, we turnovers have been there throughout Josh Allen's career. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we see the stats combined since 2018, whatever. And I feel like that's what people point to as, as kind of the low-hanging fruit as to why they're down this year. There's got to be more than just that. What, what do you point to with the team that they're missing from past seasons? Well, I... <clears throat> I don't want to say it too, but I'll, I'll make it obvious. Nobody really cares about in Buffalo land and Bill's mafia. Nobody really cares about Josh's turnovers because the guy scores, you know, they're, if they, when they're hanging 32 or 34 points or 37, 38, 41 is that 46 as they've done this year, yeah, especially this year. Yeah. Nobody cares uh, if he turns it over because he's thrown and that's a little bit of who he is. Uh, but uh, when, you know, when they're 500 team, you know, it's easy to point to that and, and say it's a problem. Um, he, 
most Bills fans, I think the coaching staff too, know they're going to live with that a little bit, the turnovers. But man, the guy scores touchdowns, and when he when when the chips are down, that guy shows up big. He really does. Um, he is a gamer, and so the turnovers, sure, but he also leads the league in scoring. And give me that. Uh, so most of that is the fact that you know if you got a quarterback like that. That's really what you ask your team to do, your defense to do, your running game, and all the other guys on the squad. Yeah, we're going to have to overcome that once in a while. You may have a bad turnover once in a while or whatever, but don't you know? Let's go cover for that, and let's not have to win the game. Josh can win the game, uh, but if you kind of got to stay in it until he finds his rhythm or overcome a, a turnover or whatever, per- perfectly happy to do it. Um, that <clears throat> I think most of what they're doing this year stems some problems that they've had has stems from well not only the the offensive coordinator switch was one thing uh also switching from a a kind of a two wide receiver and with a tight end thrown in offense to a wide receiver Steph Diggs a really good tight end and Dalton Kincaid and now a running back group with James Cook and Latavius Murray and now Ty Johnson the last few weeks it's kind of a different three heads to that monster that was usually Gabe Davis, Steph Diggs, and Dalton Kin- and Dawson Knox. Kincaid's been a huge upgrade at tight end. So it's a little bit different personnel groupings. They played a ton of, pers- of 12 personnel early in the season that they didn't play almost at all in years past. So that's been a little bit of a growing pain. Uh, and, I, and we'll see uh, where this goes. But I, there's no doubt the people inside the building feel they've got the people that can overcome any of the challenges they face right now. Dawson Knox uh, returning to practice today. For, uh, opened up that 21-day window off of IR. Steve Tasker, our guest. Steve, we know Bill's Mafia legendary as a fan base. And uh, it's not often they get down on a Bill's team, but it does happen. And I've got family members who are from Western New York, big Bills fans. It felt like all the blame was falling at the feet of Ken Dorsey. And then that move happened. If this doesn't get corrected and they don't find a way in the playoffs, who do you think gets the blame next for what's going on with Uh, Buffalo from the fan base? From the fan base, it'll probably be Sean McDermott. No question. I mean, he'll be, he'll be the guy in line to, to, to carry the responsibility for an under performing team. Uh, That's where it's going to lay because Certainly, Brandon being the GM is getting a lot of kudos for the roster he put together and Josh Allen and the rest. Uh, everybody feels like they've got talent to win. Something's missing. Uh, there have been in the in the Philly loss and some other losses, there have been coaching decisions at the end of games that have come into high under a great amount of scrutiny. Uh, on the other hand, if if you're the owner of a team, you got this coach that has structured a, a culture and an atmosphere where, I mean, they'd never lose by more than a single possession. They He's won 80, 75, 70 to 80% of his games as head coach. They rarely get beat by more than one possession. You know, I don't know why, you know, I think maybe the move for an ownership group might be to let's fix our guy here because we're not that far away. And he, it's, if it's just one head coach that needs to learn maybe a different way to close games out, let's do that rather than start from scratch again. There's that thought process as well. I think there's a lot of people in that that camp as well, but they want to see progress towards changing the way some of these games end up. They're 28 and 28 or up until the couple of, a week or two ago, they were 28 and 28 under Sean McDermott 
in one-score games during his tenure as the Buffalo head coach. There are some teams – I heard a, a, a stat that Andy Reid is like – or Pat Mahomes is like 35-10 and 10 in one-score games. There's something in that that can be fixed from the sideline in a game. And people are laying that mostly at the feet of Sean McDermott. Maybe it's a, a one-score game tonight on Thursday Night Football, although it would be a low-scoring game uh, with the tongue It would be a one-score game. It may be a one-score game, period. How, <laughs> yeah. Steve, you've, you've covered the league with uh, a longtime analyst and, of course, played it well. How odd is it to watch what's going on in New England with Belichick? Well, <clears throat> I, we lived through 20 years of it here where everything that happened seemed to work out for them. Uh, certainly with Brady, um, little did we know how far it was going to fall without Tom Brady. Uh, certainly, and, and we said it before, and you can point, and, you know, the cynics will say, you know, yeah, they won all those games. They were, they were filming their opponent's practices. They were stealing their defensive signals. How tough can it be to play even quarterback when you're always in the perfect play? Uh, there's some of that flying around. So we in Buffalo and Western New York and in the AFC East, the Jets and the Dolphins, we all have this dark specter thought about what it's like in New England, what's going on up there. So, you know, the conspiracy theories fly everywhere. So you have a hard time getting around that without saying, yeah, this is all constructed and they're going to, they're going to stink this year. They're going to get one of the top three quarterbacks and they go right back to the top with Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft has known of it is going to happen all the time. They're playing along with it and um, they're going to get, one of the, the top one or two pick of the draft and look like they're fighting really hard to win games and just not have it. And they're going to get like Kalen Williams or one of these other guys. And they're going to go right back to the top that who knows if that's the case, but certainly the record speaks to a tank. Steve, I see that Northwestern helmet behind you. You are a Northwestern alum, former player. Curious to get your thoughts on just the craziness of Pat Fitzgerald's exit and what all went on with that at Northwestern, and then what turned out to be a surprisingly really good year and a great job done by David Braun, who's now the full-time head great coach. Job. Yeah, Pat Fitz, let me just say this. Pat was um, is a great guy, wonderful person, great coach. Uh, he was perfect for Northwestern. He had solidified himself as an iconic play guy there. Um, what happened there with his players and his and the coaching staff and what went on, under his watch, certainly, ultimately, perhaps he's responsible for. I just think it's, uh, yeah, I, I I think somebody on that staff or somebody in that organization should have put a stop. It didn't necessarily have to be Pat. Uh, that could have been put to a put to a stop by an equipment manager, uh, let alone one of the full assistant coaches, a position coach, or whatever, just stepping in there and saying, "Stop this stuff right now." Uh, and certainly there, uh, the stuff I've heard from some of the, the more prominent alumni and some of the guys who are wired into the program have said, you know, uh, you know, uh, you got a, you got a kid that wanted to act, wanted to take it to the mat and wanted to make it public and wanted to make a big deal out of it and did not want to just walk away from it. Uh, he wanted to take some people out with him and he, he certainly did it. Um, you know, that's, uh, that's the way it goes. It, it was a, it's an ugly way for a really good coaching era to come to an end at Northwestern. Uh, but like you said, uh, the game moves on, the university moves on, and you hope that um, that in the future, maybe this can be a lesson to make sure that when a coaching staff comes as big as a college program is, you got to have somebody with a, you know, with their hand on the pulse of what's actually going on in a locker room and, and how the 
the psych of the team is handled. Um, it's difficult to do, but I guess it got, needs to go higher on the priority list for coaches subsequent to Pat Fitzgerald. Do you know what he's been doing this season? I do not. I, I do not. No, I haven't heard a thing about that. What, no, I know that he's not. I, I know that there was lawsuits and stuff against yeah. the university and, and stuff pending. I've no, and I and I kind of stay way out of that. Yeah, but so I couldn't. I don't even have any information to give you about any of that. Steve Tasker, our guest. Five years from now, where is special teams in the game? I think it'll continue to, to diminish. I <clears throat> I watch these guys play special teams. You know, and I played for so long. Um, and it's more and more difficult to make a difference with a superlative play without one of the other guys on the other team making a catastrophic mistake. Somebody has to fall asleep at the wheel for something to happen that's good for your team. Um, back in, you know, in decades past, it was possible to have a guy to make a play. You know, make a play on somebody because of you know alignments. You could, you know, coaches could had more at their disposal to overload one side to take a guy to, to the Colts. Exploit. The Colts beat the Titans on special teams this past week. That's right. You exploit a weak link. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, how do you allow? And I and it happened during my tenure in, in Buffalo. We blocked two kicks in, a, in one one two punts in one game. Um, when you have something like that, that's you know. You, you need to be able to win games like that. Uh, I think it's because of player safety and the rules that have changed and the the leveling of the playing field and uh, the things that they've taken off the table for special teams coaches to be able to do. It's really difficult to make it a compelling part of the game and to contribute. And that's basically what guys who play special team like me. Right. You just want a chance to help. Right. If you can't play offense or defense because, you know, you're the backup and you're going to get on the field, you want a chance to contribute. And I think that is more and more being becoming impossible for guys who play just special teams. Yeah, I mean, your impact. I mean, you're known as the special teams guy, Steve Tasker, right? Like, I think about if you do away with it, how those storylines just dissipate and go away. Yeah, we're, it, They're already minimized. Uh, but in a, yeah, a no, game that's very special specialty-oriented right. anyway, it's, it's interesting to see what they're doing with it. Yes, it is. And I... Certainly, there's a chance. There's still room for great return guys, sure, uh, and all that. Uh, but for the hardcore guys who who protect on punts, who who are on kick return team up front, um, and for punt rushers and kick coverers, the gunners, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to it's it's hard to make a living doing that and be special. Steve Tasker has been our guest. Steve, thank you so much for the perspective, man. Hopefully, we can do this again soon. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Steve. Always great to catch up with him. Really I, good. Yeah. And uh, Well, he mentioned it's something catastrophic has to happen for a big play to take place in special teams now on the other side. Yes. That's what leads to a special teams coach getting fired when you give up two block punts and your uh, punter breaks his leg and, and is out, right? That's why Craig Ackerman of the Titans is fired the day after because that's all malpractice on his part that led to those things happening. He was part of a game where two punts were blocked since 1990. It's only happened nine times where a team has blocked two punts in the same game. And you're right. I wonder how many of those special teams coaches got fired the next day after allowing that. I'd like to Probably know that a, stuff. A high number. Probably uh, seven of the nine. Former Jacksonville Jaguars employee accused of, of stealing, and it's not just in the thousands. It's in the millions. <laughs> 